homily for the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, June 27, 2021, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. God did not make death, nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. Those are the first words we heard in today's readings, and those are bold words. It took great hope and confidence for the author of the Book of Wisdom to write this. Prior to the birth of Jesus, and despite the evidence of death all around him, death was all too familiar in the ancient world, among adults and youths alike. We know that life expectancy was considerably shorter during Jesus' time than it is now, but child mortality rates are especially shocking. I'm going to share a statistic with you that will seem impossible. At the time of Christ, scientists tell us that 60% of children did not survive to adulthood. That's a lot of heartache in every city and town, touching virtually every family. There are several cemeteries from rural churches within just a few miles of the farm where I grew up back in Logan County. I make a priority of visiting them on occasion when I have spare time and I'm back home. Every one of these cemeteries has a corner or row that is incredibly sad. They contain graves of infants and toddlers, usually from many decades ago. Some of them were during the influenza epidemic in the 19-teens, but lots of these deaths were due to any number of other maladies. The children who were a few years old when they perished, not just a couple of days, must have been especially painful stories for those families. The small monuments with lambs on top of them or angels are the ones that really get to me. Keeping this in mind, I can better relate to the urgency in Jairus' voice regarding his young daughter and think of him with compassion. We can also detect his deep faith in the mercy of God. Jairus accepted and insisted that God did not make death. Today's readings declare that death is not natural. Death is a consequence of humanity's fallen nature, of course, since we see it all around us. However, God did not create us in such a way that dying was an original property of our existence. With the two miracles the Lord performed in today's gospel, he proved, as St. Paul would later state, that death has lost its power and its sting. The strength of God manifested in Christ overpowers even death itself. This is something those who met him could not ignore. We'll say a bit more about Jairus and his daughter later. First, let's look at the story that's sandwiched in the middle of the unnamed woman with a hemorrhage. More is going on with this woman than we first realize. Not only was she ill for many years, but her illness rendered her ritually impure, a virtual outcast in the context of communal worship practices. Think of her standing outside her home synagogue, Sabbath after Sabbath, not permitted to enter. We assume she had some wealth at one time, because of the many doctors she had visited, 
but those funds were soon exhausted. The three strikes against her, physical illness, ritual uncleanness, and poverty, had created a life that could be considered a living death. What we see in this woman is a great expression of faith. If I can only touch the edge of the Lord's garment, I could be healed. This was a forward gesture that struck many people as impolite. Whether it was holy courage or desperation, she took the risk to reach out. She received a twofold gift. She felt physically healed instantaneously, and she heard Jesus tell her, Your faith has saved you. We are told that Jairus is a synagogue official, and as such he comes from a world steeped in religious traditions. Talk about risks. He took a big risk by seeking out Jesus. Some of the loudest voices in Jewish leadership, like scribes, Pharisees, and members of the Sanhedrin, condemned Jesus as an agitator and blasphemer, and were convinced that no good could come of him. Any of us who asks that the gift of faith may grow within us takes a risk as well because of the repercussions we think we may face. Jairus is a sympathetic figure to us, not only because of the trust he placed in Christ, but also because of his concern as a father. Parents learn that they can only provide their kids with so much, clothes, food, education, and the like. Truly saving power does not come from them. Parents need to rely on Jesus to do the rest. How many Catholic parents will argue until they're blue in the face that their children's welfare is their greatest concern, and yet refuse to take part in and keep them far away from the holy sacrifice of the Mass? The future of the Church depends in a real way on the number of parents who will say to Jesus, Lay your hands upon my child. And the world in which we live will ridicule us, just as Jairus' servants chided him for bringing Jesus to the house when they thought all was lost. When it comes to the spiritual welfare of their sons and daughters, parents need to banish those naysayers with the same swiftness that Jesus employed when he put them out. I also love the compassion Jesus had for the girl he had cured. She's been through a lot and must be starving, he thought to himself. Let's give her something to eat. There's one more thing we should notice about the encounters that resulted in these miracles. They came from out of the blue. A large crowd gathered around Jesus and he was about to begin teaching them. At that moment, our man Jairus comes storming onto the scene. Notice that nothing whatsoever about the Lord's demeanor conveyed impatience or annoyance over this change of plans. His disciples, on the other hand, were moved to become plenty annoyed and on edge. It didn't take much for this to happen. Why are you asking who touched you when this big crowd presses in on you? But one would not know from Jesus' behavior that these events were an interruption. Certainly, his day was not ruined by either Jairus or the suffering woman. 
we as priests and clergy find a valuable lesson here. We must never cling so tightly to a planned schedule that when an unexpected gyrus or poor woman comes to us without an appointment, they will seem to be a calamity for us rather than an opportunity. Time and time again, Jesus pleads with us to trust that he wants to heal and assist us. What begs to be healed in your life? What fears must you set aside to approach Jesus with your needs? Maybe it is a fear that Jesus would not see me worthy of healing. Perhaps it is a fear of how my life might change if I were healed, and I am afraid of the unknown, the uncertain. Acting in faith demands taking risks. It boils down to this. Can you trust Jesus enough to ask for what you need? Amen.